Amen. 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 Um, y'all know I like movies. I haven't gotten to see one in a while. Um, but there's, there's one in particular that reminds me of um, uh, our, our, our subject today. Um, it's, it's, it's The Sixth Sense. I, I like that joint, right? And I'm not going to get the movie away because I know some of y'all got on me every time I say a movie something. Y'all ain't seen the movie. And y'all getting mad at me saying I'm always telling the movie. So I'm not going to tell the movie, okay? All right. But um, how many of y'all seen it? I'm just making sure. Okay. All right. Y'all not going to get mad then. Um, <clears throat> but but, but what, what was interesting about The Sixth Sense is what got me about it was I watched the entire movie kind of oblivious. Um, and, and, and I kind of walked through each section of the movie, and I was like, okay, what's the deal with this movie? But when it got to the end of the movie and it kind of brought everything full circle, I felt like that was the best job I had ever seen at someone kind of, kind of bringing something full circle and keeping something as, as obvious as was obvious um, in the movie, but seeing it at the end and just feeling silly, right? Well, well, today we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna preach Christ from a different passage. We're going to preach the resurrection from Genesis 22 today. And, and it's interesting that the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is filled with that kind of sixth sense-ish type thriller movie drama. Because what it does is the Old Testament is about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It is saying something in particular about him. Hebrew says that the Old Testament, the law, the prophet, and the writings spoke about Jesus Christ in types and shadows. <laughs> so today, I want to look at one of those types and shadows in Genesis 22, and we're going to look at a familiar story, and, and I want to just, I want to kind of just walk through the story in its general way then I want us to do a sixth sense. I want us to go back, and I want us, after we go through the passage, I want us to look back, um, because I was blown away at the amount of impregnation with Christology that this passage has in it. I mean, there are about 20,000 ways you can preach Jesus from this passage. And so we're going to look at some of those observational snippets, but, and we're going to point to how this even connects to the cross and how it connects to the resurrection. In Genesis chapter 22, you, we're talking about the life of Abraham, and we've seen that Abraham's part in the, the plot of Genesis started in Genesis 22. And in that plot and in that narrative, Abraham was uniquely called by God to leave the land of Ur and move on to a land that uh, he didn't know about. And so we see on and on throughout the life of Abraham, Abraham experiencing God, but the way he experienced God and connected with God was through faith alone, uh, uh, absolutely faith alone. And so what's beautiful about this section is the same demand is made of our man Abraham. And so what, today I want to talk about just for a little while the passion of Yahweh. The passion of of Yahweh. I'm a, I want to read the text and then we're going to come back and dive into it. It says, after these things, verse 1, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. It always trips me out in the Old Testament when they say, here I am, like God didn't know, but it's a trip. He said, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, 
whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I tell you. I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of the young of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. Isaac, and, and said to Isaac, uh, Isaac said to his father, and the both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said to him, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire for the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Let's stop there. I want, to the, today, this past, usually when we look at this passage, we think deeply about us. But as I began to look back and step back, the text is really more about God and us as a byproduct. And so really, Yahweh is enjoying himself right now. I didn't see it at first until I began doing a lot more work in the text. And I was blown away by God. But what God was doing, not adding to himself or subtracting from himself, but enjoying himself. Check, check this thing out. Uh, and that brings me to my first point. When we talk about the passion of God, Yahweh, we see here in this text that one of the things that God has a passion for is he challenges our heart without sometimes listing the benefits of obedience. Many times God will challenge your heart and my heart without listing the benefits of obedience. The, the text says, God tests Abraham. Interesting word. The word here for test isn't the usual word for test. See, sometimes test in the passage will usually mean um, to make someone stronger. It will mean to refine where they are in their walk with God. But this word isn't that word. It's interesting that the word here for test is a word that means to stretch. The word here, the, the word here means to basically check on the progress of something you've been depositing. See, when God tests Abraham here, God is basically trying to expose where Abraham is based on where he's been. See, in order to appreciate a t this, this idea of test, you got to understand where your man has been in his life. Over the years, your man Abraham has experienced, he's lying, talking about his wife is his cousin and his, his, his sister. You know what I'm saying? He's lied and he's experienced times where he hasn't trusted God. He's also had a time in his life where, you know what I'm saying, um, he, they feel like the promises of God was not going to come to pass. And so his wife, Sarah, said, um, go into my, 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 um, my, my, my slave. And he was like, Are you sure? I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you all right with that? Okay. I mean, so he goes ahead 
and he tries to get the promises of God with man's help. He tries to fulfill the promises of God on his own terms rather than submitting to God's terms. And so here in this passage, we see that God challenges my man with a test to expose and show Abraham where he is. And he said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. What's powerful about this test is most of the time when God tests Abraham in Genesis 12, in Genesis 15, in Genesis 18, um, you see, and in actual, actually Genesis 21, you will see God do something in those passages that he doesn't do in this passage. Beautiful. God in this passage doesn't give Abraham a promise when he tests him. In other words, he wanted to see, can you follow me and can you zoom in on me even if I don't point you to any perks? See, we live in a day and age where we have to hook, line, and sinker the hearts of people with the perks of the Christian life rather than the person of the Christian life. And so our challenge, our challenge that God gets sick of is he gets sick of people falling in love with what he has and not with who he is. It's a new TV show. I can't remember what station is on where this lady basically helps rich men to get uh, get, get, uh, get, ma- get married. And so basically she tries to, she tries to get them connected with a person that can personally connect with them because they're tired of getting people just wanting them for their loot, but not wanting them to really love them. And so God, God in all of his power and all of his providence and all of his sovereignty, he loves interaction and he loves personal relationship. He's not just some spooky God sitting up in heaven laughing at how the world is falling apart. He is uniquely and passionately, eminently desiring to chop it up with human beings. And so here in this text, he says, Abraham, I'm going to test you. And I know Abraham was like, all right, you're going and God didn't say he was going to do anything. He didn't say I was going to multiply you. He didn't say I was going to make your, your seed as the land of the, uh, as many as the, uh, the sand of the seashore. He didn't say any of that. He just presented him with a command and expected the proper response to that command. If God today was to call out the closest thing to your heart that's even in your will, and challenge you with it, what would be your response? It's interesting that in the text, he says several times, he says, take your son, your only son, you know, the one whom you love. It's interesting. He said, the one you've placed and banked everything on. The one who even I have a promise on his life about. He he challenges our man Abraham deeply in the area of obedience. So he tests the heart of Abraham to see if your man Abraham would move according to his passions, his personal passions, or God's biblical principles. And so it's interesting here, again, that God stresses the very thing that his affections are heavy for. What in your life are your affections and your passions so are so attached to that it's kind of like you hold it behind your back in your prayer time with God. It's the thing that you would say, God, 
I'm, I, you know, I'm, this is all I'm laying on the table. This, that, don't ask me that, Holy Spirit. This, that, 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 and that. Fall back. And some of us in our hearts tell the Holy Spirit to fall back. And God is a competitive God. He's a sports God. See, God likes comp- he, he He does not like to lose, and he does not like competition. And so whenever anything in our hearts is competing with him in our hearts, he, he feels some kind of way about that. And when he feels some kind of way about that, he's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I am going to rig life that they are prepared so that when I actually test them with that, I want to expose to them where they are in relation to submitting to my development. And so here in this passage, God wants Abraham. He says, Abe, I want to see where you are, fam. Because, because now you got, you got calves, you got, you got ox, oxen, you got rams, you got servants. Matter of fact, this man had a small battalion, like an army of cats. You know what I'm saying? Slaves. He had all types of things in his possession. And God says, okay, now, I know my hand is on you, and I know others have seen my hand on you, but they've seen my hand on you based on what you have. But now I want them to see my hand on you based on who you have. And so I'm excited about this. And that's why I get frustrated with these cats on TV uh, parading, uh, uh, parading uh, precious things rather than the precious one. Because what it begins to think, what it begins to make us think is that the only way we can enjoy being in Christ and, and being in a relationship with God is if God continues to keep the slot machine rolling. But as soon as the, as the slot machine doesn't hit all lemons, then we get frustrated. You know what I'm saying? Some of us pray over our lottery tickets right now. Tell my Lord, give me triple, triple nines. <laughs> Straight, you know, all of the, I don't even know the terminology anymore. I grew up with it. Combination. <laughs> Some of y'all got a grandmama there. You know, she loved Jesus, but she hit the lottery slime. You know what I'm saying? We, we want to have, God, God is passionate because he's existed with himself eternally enjoying himself. And so he knows how good he is because he's been enjoying him forever. And so it looks foolish to him when others who he calls into a relationship with him doesn't enjoy him as much as he enjoys himself. And so that's when he sends a test to show you how subrated your enjoyment of him is in relation to what he's given you. Now, he do, that doesn't mean that God doesn't provide anything. That doesn't mean that God doesn't take care of our needs. We'll see that in the passage. However, God is more passionate about God than he is about his gifts. And so here we see in the passage, Abraham says in verse 3, it says, so Abraham rose early. I like that. You know, I don't know if he slept. I wonder, was he sleeping? They didn't have alarm clocks back then, you know. We got alarm clocks on our TVs. We got alarm clocks on our phones. We got alarm clocks that are alarm clock radios. But Abraham, I I, I wonder, was he sleep looking at Sarah? I wonder after God said that to him, doesn't say in the text that he even talked to Sarah about it. 
Because I don't know if, I, I don't know why he didn't talk to Sarah about it. There are some things in the passage that could possibly show us why he didn't talk to Sarah about it. I can't imagine God telling me, E, get up, take your newest baby, sacrifice him to me. Now, I know I'll be in the bed looking like, whew. Like, I would feel like I would just mess up my wife's whole relationship with Jesus Christ. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't even tell her. I'll just, you know. And Abraham rose early. I'm pretty sure he didn't move the pallet. I didn't know if they did like Lucy and Ricky and Slatton, two, two different pallets, or they had one big pallet together. You know, I don't know if they, you know, had bare fur they laid on. I don't know what they laid on. But all I know is that when he got up, you know, he's 100 years old. So it took him a while. Ain't like he gonna, he ain't like he gonna roll off the bed, you know, and slide over. Like, because he'd break his hip or something. So he's 100. He's 100 years old. So he gets out of the bed. But what's interesting to me is his obedience. He didn't sleep in on his obedience to God. He didn't play snooze when God called him to be obedient. My man was so obedient that he did it hastily. What has God been calling you to deal with in your life that's in the way of your relationship with him that you've been acting like a sluggard on dealing with? Abraham rose early. Now, if he 100, ain't nobody 100 in here. My man got up at 100 years old and got up, and he got up quickly. I love it. Then he said, and he saddled, said, and he saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. So we see sometimes God doesn't even present to us the perks when he calls us to obedience. Because sometimes he wants us to be, him to be enough in the obedience. But then... In the passion of Yahweh, we see right here, next point is God exposes his dramatic development of our faith. Whenever God tests us, he wants to expose the dramatic development of our faith. If you're a believer in Christ, you should be regularly growing spiritually. So that means if God brings a test your way, that you should pass sometimes. And so we look in the text, family, and we see in verse 4 something interesting. It says in verse 4, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. It's interesting. Abraham sees the spot far off. He stops the men, tells the men, this is as far as you're going to go. But he says, check it out. Me and the boy, we're going to go over there, but both of us are coming back. Read the text. He didn't, he didn't say, I'll be back. He says, the boy and I will go and return to you. So it's interesting. So let's, let's picture what Abraham has in mind. He is supposed to offer Isaac as a burnt offering. Now, in Abraham's mind here, 
He's going to stab Isaac, and Isaac dies, blood bleeds off the altar. Then he, there was no gasoline back then. They weren't, he wasn't going to lay gasoline over his son. He was going to light him on fire and hope that the savor aroma is pleasing to God. He was going to burn him. Isaac was going to burn to ashes. But Abraham believed, based on Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, that because he's seen God make promises for years. For tw- he's been walking with God to this point for 25 years. And one of the things that he's seen for the 25 years of his walk with God, that whenever God promised something, he doesn't lie about it. He makes it come to pass. And so I can see Abraham walking over there by faith, trying to figure out how God was going to do this. How he, he, but he believed in his mind that he was going to sacrifice his son. He was going to stab him. He was going to burn the ashes. And he believed, based on Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, that God was going to raise him from the dead. Now, this ain't like Lazarus. Like he wrapped in some, you know, and he can walk out and, and carry on, you know. He believed that God was going to uncrisp the ashes of Isaac's body, reform his bones, reform his circulatory system, reform, reform his digestive system, reform every system, and put his son back together, even his clothes, and they were going to hold hands and walk right back to the dudes. What I see here is even through Abraham's possible struggle, he gave God the benefit of the doubt. Many of us, the reason why we're not obedient is because we don't trust the heart of God. See, you can say you trust God, but the question is, do you believe crazy stuff that he'll do because you know what he's promised? And so what's powerful about my man Abraham is he says, he says, we're going to go over and this blow, it blows me away what he calls it. He said, we're going to worship. He said, we're going to lift hands. You know what I'm saying? And no choir, no praise team, no band. We're going to worship and we're going to return. He saw his act of obedience as an act of worship. And I, and I pray that we don't leave worship here. Worship is worship when you have to die to yourself. That's a savoring aroma. Worship ain't just when you receive something. I bless you, God, because you provided. What if he doesn't? What if God continuously decides to take you the hard route? Can you call your walk with him worship still? Or are you gloomy all the time? How you doing? Well, you know, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. Or or does the joy of having him and him alone do enough for you? And so Abraham calls what he's about to do worship. And then, you know, Isaac. He puts the wood on Isaac, and they walk up the mountain. And then Isaac is probably, some believe, early teens. Isaac, as he's walking up the hill, he kind of like, hey, Dad, 
Daddy be always playing. He play too much. Daddy play too much. Hey, Daddy, I see the wood. <laughs> Woo, Daddy, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where is the lamb? And Abraham makes a statement. I love this statement. He says, the Lord will provide for himself. He didn't say God will provide for us. He said the Lord will provide for himself. Jehovah Yireh. But you got to understand that he just got finished in chapter 21 calling him uh, Yahweh Olam. See, you got to understand. See, Yahweh Olam means the everlasting God, the eternal God, the visionary God. In other words, the big picture God. El Olam means big picture God. But it's interesting that Yehovah, Yahweh doesn't just mean that God provides. That does it injustice. He literally was telling his son, Yahweh will see to it. What does he mean he'll see to it? You have Yahweh Olam and you also have uh, Yahweh Yireh. And what, and what he's saying there is that God is a visionary God that loves the big picture. But because he will provide for himself, he's also about the details. And so basically he says God is about the big scope of all that he's decreed, but he also cares about the specifics, my son. And so within just a few verses, you see Abraham talking about God in seemingly uh, paradoxical uh, 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 misnomers, but they're not misnomers because it's everything that makes God God. And he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so I love this because we see that Abraham is believing God and he's trusting God even in the midst of one of the biggest struggles of his life. He's waited all of his life for the shame to be gone <clears throat> from him and from his family and for his name to be able to go on. And God provides it. And now God decides to fall back in his mind by removing what he's promised. But Abraham, in the midst of it, still gives God the benefit of the doubt. When you're struggling with what God has called you to be obedient to, do you still give God the benefit of the doubt? So last but not least, God celebrates the work he produces in us. God celebrates the work he produces in us. Verse 9. It says, when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for him. For now I know you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. It's powerful. What's very, 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 very powerful about this reality 
is that Abraham is about to go forth in obedience. He goes to pick it up. He's about to get his son before he does the burnt offering. And the angel of the Lord, which is usually believed to be the pre-incarnate Christ or messenger from God, either doesn't matter, it's still from God. And it says, and, and what's beautiful, it says here, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. Since for now, I know. Now, some people have had a field day with this. You know, because here the word is not for cognitive knowledge. Yada is the word for experiential knowledge. But that still poses a problem. I don't want to explain that to you. How do we have God knowing or getting, not knowing something and then getting to know something? Here he says, now I know you fear God. The word for yada is usually used for experiencing someone. Um, usually it's a, it's a term of intimacy. But what's powerful here is that still presents a problem to us. So it kind of it reminds me of this. I remember I was in the third grade, and my teacher told me, told my mother that I couldn't learn. And, and, she, and she, 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 she said, your son, he, he can't learn. And you know, I don't, y'all never, I don't know if any of y'all met my mama, but, but you don't say stuff about her children. You don't want to enter the, the wrath of Florence G. Mason. So her, her eyes began to bubble up, and she told me I could, he can't say his timetables. He keeps failing the test. And so my, my mom was upset and frustrated because she knew and had experienced me going through the entire table. So she snatched me over there. I didn't know if she, she was mad at her, but she was snatching me. Come here, you know, you know, old school black mamas, they snatch you when they, you know, you're just going like this, you know. You know, she, she was raised by slaves, so she, she, she don't know. I mean, it's literally late, raised by slaves. So, you know, the way they got yanked, yak, yak. And she was, I was like, yes, mom, yes, mom, yes, ma'am, I'm here. And so I go through the entire multiplication table in front of my teacher. And after I did that, my mom was excited. The issue wasn't that my mom didn't know that I knew the table. She wanted to show off what had been developed in me. That's the same thing in this text. Let me see if I can make it more clear. Now, when I was going to graduate from high school, when I was going to graduate from college, master's degree, doctoral degree, uh, before you graduate, you get your grade, so you should know that you're going to graduate. Now, some people like to get their degree sent to them. Like, that ain't, I, I don't went through all that. I'm walking across the stage. I'm dancing. You know, I want my family when they tell them to be quiet. Hey, Eric, hey, hey. You know, black people, hey, I know they told me to be quiet, but the Lord, hey. Just disobedient to authority. <laughs> but what's interesting, what's interesting is no one came to the graduation wondering was I going to graduate. They already knew I was going to graduate. They just wanted to enjoy the experience of the process. See, here in the text when God says, now I know that you fear, God wasn't learning, he was celebrating and enjoying the product of what he already knew he had deposited in Abraham. And my question to you is, as God is developing you, can God enjoy the experience of your development based on your willingness to be obedient to him? Is it a graduation or is it a devastation? 
We need, we, God, see this, we don't, we don't have this God that's always waiting. He's a God of wrath, and he's, he's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of holiness. He loves to enjoy the development of his kids. It's not that he doesn't know the development of his kids, but he wants to show off the development of his kids. And so it's beautiful. And it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and, he, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord provides, the Lord will see to it. As it is said to, to this day on, the mount of the Lord shall be provided. Now what in the world does this have to do with the resurrection? A whole bunch. Let's go back to the story. It says in verse 2, it says, take your only son. Just as Abraham was going to offer his only son, guess who else offered their only son? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, 32, that God did not withhold his own son. Not only that... You see Isaac, this is, this is powerful, and this was the first time I saw this. You see Isaac in verse 3, matter of fact, I'm sorry, verse 6, it says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son. But where were they going? They were going up a mountain. So Isaac was carrying the very wood that he was going to lay on in the sacrifice. But, 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 but the difference between Jesus and Isaac is Isaac was oblivious to why he was carrying the wood. But Jesus Christ, who carried the wood up Golgotha's hill, wasn't oblivious because he knew that he was going to die on the cross for our sins. The Bible says that Abraham believed that, that God was going to raise his son from the dead. Well, it didn't, it wasn't just a test. It was a reality. And Jesus actually died and was raised from the dead. So we see Christ all through this passage. And what's beautiful about this is at the end of the passage, it says, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And it says, and God and Abraham sacrificed the ram in the place of Isaac. In other words, Isaac was supposed to die, but Isaac didn't because God will see to it. The question is, what does God see to? See, every one of us was on our way to hell with gasoline drawers on, and we was going to bust hell wide open. We were supposed to carry our wood up Golgotha's hill. But as we were going up the hill, 
the son tapped us on the shoulder and took the wood off our shoulder. And he says, I'm going to die in your place. Why? Because I live the life you can never live. I died the death you can never die. The Bible says that he made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. So just as this ram caught in the thicket, it wasn't by chance. Just like Christ's death wasn't by chance. And so we see the beauty of the cross and the resurrection. We also see the death march of Jesus Christ in this text. And so I pray that as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, that as we celebrate the reality of the resurrection of Christ, that we see what's most important in this text. What's most important in this text is that God was enjoying himself. God got pleasure out of Abraham's obedience. It was as if he was like, yes, yes, even though he already knew. It's, I don't understand that about God. Like, how can he already knew, know, exist in both eternity and time and around time and split to time, but enjoy and experience time as if he never experienced it before, even though he has and he's seen it for all eternity. And he enjoys it. And he's having a passion for the obedience of Abraham. And God also, guess what he also has a passion for? The obedience of Jesus Christ. None of you can be obedient without Jesus. None of us can be obedient without Jesus. I was just sharing the gospel with somebody. I was getting me some Jamaican food the other day. Praise the Lord. I got me some, some, some greens. They were crazy. Some macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. And I had... Some jerk wings, yeah, Lord, uh, and I had some cocoa bread, uh-huh, and I had some ginger beer. Bless the Lord, now, that ain't liquor beer, but it's ginger beer. But my enjoyment of it was when I hollered at this lady, I was talking to her about the cross, and what she told me, she said, I got baptized at eight years old. She said, and I know you got to live right. <coughs> you got to live right. I said, how do, you, how do you get in a relationship with God? You got to live right. <laughs> Child, if you don't live right, she backed up from the counter. You, you got to live right, you know. And it looked like church, but it wasn't. Because you can't be obedient on your own. You can't get yourself saved. People talking about something, you know, I'm not ready yet. When? <clears throat> when? You can't do enough push-ups to get in the kingdom. You can't do enough curls. You can't eat enough protein powder. You can't get weave long enough, a haircut tight enough. Uh, you, can't, you can't eat well enough to get into the kingdom. Somebody has to do it for you. But the issue is they have to be perfect for it to count. And God has to actually believe that their currency is good enough to count for everybody. So the blood of Christ, family, I don't know where you are right now. Maybe <coughs> you're here and you don't know Christ and you, you, you're you thinking that you can live your life right enough for him. You think, I, I, give, my I give my tithes. 
You know, I get my ties. I put my finger up when I leave out. I know church. I, I know how to, I know how to, dis, I, know, I know what number in the hymn book, old rugged crosses. That doesn't save you. I know how to genuflect when I come in to the, I know how to get on my knees. I know how to, I know how to shout. I know, I, that doesn't save you. I got baptized. I got sprinkled. I got poured. I got, I got hands laid on me. That doesn't save you. I ran around the church. And I, 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 I ran around the building seven times and proclaimed my blessing. That doesn't save you. None of it. None of it saves you. The work of Christ and Christ alone who came as a substitutionary, penal substitutionary atonement in your place and mine. And his death counting for the death that we should have died. But the issue with Christ is he was so powerful that death said, man, it's busting at the seams. We can't hold this cat. And he got up on the third day with all power in his hands. The Bible says that if you repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and when you're turning away from sin, you're turning towards him. He empowers you to do it. And you trust and you say, Lord, I'm jacked up, and I can't get your favor without you giving me the favor. And so there's only one in whom you placed all of your favor on, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I submit that I can't live right. I can't acknowledge you enough. I can't be baptized in deep enough water. I can't sing enough songs. I can't give enough money. I can't live enough life. I need Christ. I put my faith in my face alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, nothing else. No, I helped. I didn't help anybody across you. That didn't help me. Nothing helps me but Christ and Christ alone. So if you're here today and you've heard come to the altar to, to throw money on it but didn't hear the gospel, if you heard church attendance, that's not the gospel. If you heard come to Bible study, that's not the gospel. Come let me lay my hands on you. That's not the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel is a person. I don't care whose authority and covering you're under. I'm under the covering of, I don't, you better be under Jesus' covering. Maybe you somebody's armor bearer and you carry their Bible and walking in behind them. Who you? I'm working for the bishop. I'm working for the bishop. And you, I don't care what part of the ministry you work in. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you can touch the hem of the bishop or, or, the, or the, I don't care who's the reverend, the right reverend, the very, very right reverend, the left reverend, the up reverend, the down reverend, the diagonal reverend. But there's only one who we're reverent to and, that's, and his name is Jesus. And so, and so today, Christ, we preach him, not ourselves. We preach him and him crucified. Him. So if you're here today and you don't heard a whack gospel, some old punk gospel, some old left field man-centered gospel where God isn't the center, Jesus is the center, his death and his resurrection isn't the center, you've heard everything else but the gospel. 
He's calling to you today. He's calling to you today to trust him by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. So we pray that if you've come here today and you've trusted Christ, we want to connect with you. We, we want to connect with you. We want to chop it up with you and talk to you about how to go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Spiritual death and spiritual life and how to be on the walk to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and him alone. On the back table, in the, in the lobby, right out there, there's some cards. I want you to fill them out because we want to get with you. We just want to force conversions, have a bunch of people come up here and just, we don't want to do a frenzy. We, re- we want to actually walk with you. No, we don't want you to come in and say, I trust Jesus, walk out, and people never connect with you. And the people never walk with you ever again. And you just said, I just came on the Easter Sunday and I dipped. <clears throat> we, we ain't after your loot. We're after your life. And so I pray today that you've heard the gospel and that you've trusted in the God of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to pray for you and we're going to pray that you fill out the card in the back and let them let us know. I trusted Christ today. I trusted Christ today. Even if you're embarrassed and you've been in church all of your life. It's it would be bad to spend all of your time around salvation, but never have it. Fill out the card. Father, we thank you that you authentically convert. Um, But God, we don't force anybody to convert because we know that Christ saved so powerfully by the gospel. Oh, my God, how so many of us, we could just set up a line today and proclaim how you've impacted us. All of us can. Those who trusted Christ as Savior. <sighs> Help nobody to think that they're saved because they've experienced natural revelation. They've experienced general grace, not efficacious grace. Some of you say, well, my bills are paid, so everything's all right. You don't get saved to get your bills paid. <laughs> you, you trust Jesus to be in a relationship with God through Christ. It's not about God being a sugar daddy. So I pray in the name of Christ that you would trust in Jesus Christ and him alone today. And so, Father, we pray that you would hook them up, bring them in. And even if they don't come here as their local church to be connected with you in, through, through, through being discipled by believers, I pray that you would bless them with a solid church that we can point them to in different areas of the city because there are a lot of good solid churches in this area, Lord. So, God, we pray and honor you for the resurrection of Christ, that without it, life wouldn't make sense. Life would be like a ship without a sail. So be honored, God, and be glorified in the lives of people through authentic conversion, through repenting of sin and turning to Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. (laughs) Amen. <laughs>